Well, here we are once again. It is episode 28, I think. Yeah. Gosh. Man, it's look like at Apollo this. 28. Yeah. I don't think they made it that far. No? No. So we're farther out than NASA. Yeah. Wow. I guess so. Dude, you can't say that every day. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Probably should never say that. But we've anyways, done, you know. We've done. We're way far out, man. Far out. Yes. Groovy. On the edges of the universe. All right. So anyways, how's things? You know, it's been a good week. So far. Yeah. I um today was the first day of school. Oh, how'd that go? For our household. It went it went okay. Yeah. We're we're getting there. Everybody's there. Everybody is there. And uh we didn't have the the major collapse that we anticipated. Our our youngest is having a hard time doing the whole go to school thing. Last year was a challenge. This year I think we're gonna he's in first grade now. I think we're gonna be better. We're working. Oh that's good. So we're praying for him. We had we had we did pretty good. One down, two hundred and four to go or something like that. I have no idea. Dude, who knows? I I'm totally off on the numbers. I have no idea. Close. I think. But yeah. So yeah. I think they got to do like 200 days a year or something like that. Something like that. He's he's there. So life is good. So we're 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 gonna make it for All sure. Right. You got sure. this. Yes. Name it and claim it, huh? Yes. There you go. Yeah. Well, we did, we've been doing a little. Uh, of the week. We've been doing a little surf fishing. I heard about this, and Cruising. you had a little had a little incident yesterday. Oh yeah, one of the one of the children's clan. Yeah, Emily took a stingray to the side of the foot. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. You, you know what's crazy is, I mean, I I've certainly... never even seen a stingray in the wild. Oh, I've seen thousands of them. I mean, they're I've everywhere. I've seen them at SeaWorld. I've never seen them in the wild. Oh, yeah, the stingray petting zoo. Right, I always thought yeah. that was a bad idea, but evidently they de-stung them or something. Oh, no. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, anyway. I can't imagine they would get uh, away with that. No, they, maybe they duct taped the stingers. I don't know what they did, but Who I knows? remember they petting the stingers. With, they got away with keeping Shamu in that tank for so long. So, Gosh, poor Shamu. Anyway, uh, you know... 15, 20 years of surfing and beach going, growing up by the beach, and I never got stung by one of those. You didn't say, hey, Em, you got to shuffle your feet. She was shuffling. It oh, okay. got her on the side. Ouch. So I was surf fishing yesterday, and I got bumped into by a few of them. So I, They're I, there. I went into real shallow water. Mm. So hmm. it was good. But yeah, they're good. put your feet in a bucket of hot water, and it takes the pain away. There's your oh, medical advice from for today, your emergency medical advice. San Diego uh, lifeguards helped with that. They did. It was very helpful. And, uh, you know, I mean, I I was praying. I mean, Emily's single. I was hoping maybe that, you know, one of those guys, but no, it didn't work out. So anyway. Look at you, Mr. Matchmaker. I know. No, I never do that with my kids, but I never say never. I pray. Well, there you go. Then you're doing the thing. There you go. I make it. It's God's fault. Well, so uh, in the news. You may have remembered a couple weeks ago in one of my messages, I talked about deep fakes. Do you remember I mentioned deep fakes? Deep fakes? Deep fakes is this ability with uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence to be able to mimic video and audio and make people make, you know, audio that's not real audio sound like the actual person and the danger of all this. Uh, right. We I saw the video on that with you. That was scary. Okay. So here's a new one. This is really good. So there is a guy who is showing what can happen, what you can do with deep fakes. Oh, where he did where the president was talking? So this person created something new with uh, audio. And uh, I have an example here that uh, I think you're, you're going to like. This is um, someone we know somewhat well. This is Jordan Peterson. Rule nine in my book, 12 Rules for Life, is assume whoever you're listening to knows something you don't. I realize just how true that is. Every time I listen to the Questions podcast with Miles DeBenedictus and Mark Childers, Subscribe today at thequestionspodcast.com. And don't forget to leave a review and five-star rating. 
That was entirely generated. No, no, that was real. That was not real. Oh, come on. That is 100% machine learning, artificial intelligence. I just typed in what it was going to say, and it, it made that automatically. Wow. It sounds just like him. Can we do a Rodney Dangerfield one? It's totally freaky. If wow. they can take George a recording, Bush. if they can take a recording of a person's voice and they can take the transcript, they can train the computer to know how to talk with your same tonal inflections to sound just like that, you. Yeah. You know, it's scary. We saw the video on it and they actually had, it was uh, President Obama yeah. was saying something he would never say. I forget right, what it right. was. He and was it, endorsing Donald Trump or something. Yeah. yeah. And, like everybody in the room was, couldn't believe it. Yeah. And it turns out it was all artificial. Yes. And the scary thing was is the guy who developed it was talking about how scary it was uh-huh. because obviously, you know, and he's trying to create the countermeasures, but well, he's he, just making he, the technology better. Yeah. He, and so he's creating the countermeasure to it, but in, in essence, he's selling ammunition to both sides. Yes. So this guy stands to make a lot of money. Potentially. It's pretty uh, dangerous. Cause I mean, but, but he can really what, cause some trouble. If you know what Jordan Peterson sounds like that, that he that just, gave, he just totally gave us an endorsement. This is Jordan Peterson. Rule nine in my book, 12 Rules for Life, wow. is assume it's totally whatever him. you're listening to knows something you don't. I realize just how true he, that he is. He says our name Every perfectly. time I listen to the Questions podcast with Miles DeBenedictus and Mark Childers, subscribe today at thequestionspodcast.com. And don't forget to leave a review and five-star rating. I mean, you can't get a better endorsement than that. That's great. Man, that's awesome. I'm so glad that he was willing to endorse our, our show. Can we have a celebrity endorsement every week? I... Well, someone's going to have to create some more artificial intelligence deep fakes because this is the only one I found so far. I was looking for some other ones of potential things, I, but you well, know, I could see right? Rodney Dangerfield endorsing us. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was you know that was a great endorsement. The, the president, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Weird Al Yankovic. I mean, somebody. Maybe important. we could maybe we could create a deep fake uh, AI with Pastor Chuck's voice. That would not be very difficult. We have right. transcripts. We got audio. Oh, we could totally yeah. do that. We totally need to do. I need to figure out how to make this technology work. Listen to those guys. They're they're the greatest. They're glorious and All right. right on. In other news, right. Uh Saturn, the planet. <laughs> it could lose its rings in less than a hundred million years. Wow, that's something we really need to pay attention it's to. It's such a drag to lose your ring, don't you think? Yeah. Did yeah. somebody whisk? Somebody put had a ring around the collar? What happened? Apparently, uh, you know, a young astronomer from somewhere in England has discovered some of the science. It's on the Smithsonian Mag website, and uh, so you know, within a hundred million years, there'll be no rings around Saturn. That's going to be a real bummer when that happens. And a hundred million years—it's a long time. Wow. Yeah. Wait for it. You know, Wait last week it. you had a news story. Did you bring one today? I didn't have a news story. You got today. no news? No, I got nothing that, you know, no good news. Okay, I came know. across this news story that I actually found to be pretty interesting on Christianity Today's website. And it's talking about how, um, did you know that that you can purchase debt on penny do- pennies on the dollar? So right. So, like, you can start a business, you can go out and purchase debt, and uh, and then you start a debt collection company. So there is this nonprofit organization. This is kind of cool. They have been purchasing medical debt, and then churches are contributing to this, and then they just forgive the debt. So they send all these people, you know, 9,000 people have all this debt from some medical expense, and then they get a letter in the mail from a church that just says, just want you to know we purchased the debt, your debt's been forgiven. Wow. That's kind of cool. What an entrance to the, like Je- exact, the whole Jesus exactly. concept. Tell yeah. a story. It is paid. Yeah. It is finished. Exactly. Wow. So this one church, instead of... 
um, using, they had, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, $22,000 that they were going to use on their Easter service. Yeah. They, they decided that they were going to can the big Easter service they were planning on doing. And instead they sent a whole bunch of people in their community letters saying, Hey, your debt's been forgiven. What a great testimony. Yeah. What a great testimony. That's kind of cool. That's really cool. Pretty interesting. That's really cool. Wow. That's, That's all I got for the news. Saturn's rings are disappearing in a hundred million years and, uh, be careful of deep fakes. Yeah. Man. Well, speaking of deep fakes. Hmm. Oh, we have some questions. I love Jesus, and I ain't lying. <laughs> you stole the Left you Eddie like my, story. You, did, did you ever meet Left Eddie? Have you ever come I in contact with him? I gave him a ride him? to his house in Valley oh, Center. Oh, did you really? Yeah. On Cole Grade. Oh, yeah. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's so funny. You're telling the story, missing our elbow in one another. And, and, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, my son was here, but he was too young to remember Left Eddie. But, okay, yeah. the other the other side of the story is we get there, and uh, he wants to show us around his house. It's not just drop a Left Eddie oh, off yeah. of the house. So he wants to show us around the house. He's showing us all these different things. We got to meet Left Eddie's mom. She was cool. Mm-hmm. Super Greek. Like, as Greek Ultra as you could Greek, po- yeah. possibly be. It was like full-on big fat Greek wedding going on there at the Eddie household. And then, so we're in there. We're talking to his mom. We're talking to Eddie. And Eddie's brother, older brother, comes in, and he's looking at us like, who on earth are you or why are you in my living room? And Eddie's saying, hey, these are my new friends. They gave me a ride home, the whole deal. And uh, he looks at me and he looks at the guy that was with me. He goes, you guys aren't Mormons, are you? And I said, no, sir. No, we're not. So, <laughs> not today. No, we've, yeah, no, we're not. I gave Eddie a ride uh, a number of times after that because I was living off of Colgrade Road for a little while up in uh, Valley Center. And I would see him walking down the road and I'd pull over. Hey, Eddie, where are you going? Can you take me to Burger King? Yep, no problem. Now, I think... We'd have to see Left Eddie again and ask him, but I think that's actually part of his name, El Left Eddie or something yes, like that. Right. It's a yeah. Greek name. You're right, yeah. But he just took Left Eddie because of the left eye was that's glass. That's right, that's right. But he actually did the card trick with my kids. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, and my kids, I'm sure, were like, oh, yeah, I got any more. And then that's when he was banging on his glass. Oh, eyes, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's crazy. It's so he, interesting how one person can... He, he was voted the unofficial mayor of... Uh, of Valley Center a number of he's years ago. He's got my vote. He totally, yeah. He's I great. mean, you know, now they've got nice electricity guy. up there. That's great. Super nice guy. Yeah. So, yeah. cool. So we got questions. Okay. All right. You were talking a lot about love. A lot about love. Oh, what's love what's got, love to, got do to do with it? it? Yeah, we go. exactly. How did I know you were going to say that? Which love, love definitions are used in 1 John 5 1? Listen to you busting out the, uh, the British English there. Yeah. Oh, you know, I heard El Presidente do that. Mm. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. And I thought... Well, you, if you're going to say dude's that, this dude has not been to church. But then I realized, like in Great Britain, right? You have to say it with a British accent. Yes, they say one, one John, one Timothy, five, one, one Timothy five one. Yes, yeah. turn in your Bibles. And there's so many one different British accents. Four, seven. Yeah. Uh, well, see, there is no such thing. I was informed of this recently. There is no such thing as a British accent. There is an English accent, a Welsh accent, a Scottish accent, and an Irish accent. There is no such thing as a British accent. Oh, they're doing it the right way? That's what a, a, uh, an Englishman, I heard him say this Incredibly recently. Incredibly well, humble. Incredibly very, humble. Very, very yeah. humble. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, 1 John 5, well, 1 John 5, 1. 1 what, John. What is the definition of, of love there? Well, it is, the, uh, it is the Greek word agape. So that's the word that is, uh, I think the best description of it, I wouldn't say definition necessarily, but the best description of it is what we talked about on Sunday from first Corinthians 13, uh, verses four through seven. Love is patient and kind and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. And those are all attributes of God. 
Certainly, yes. Yeah, he so. he relates to us with that kind of love, which is good because uh, we need his patience. Uh, that's like that that great passage in Exodus thirty four. He is long suffering and slow to anger, abounding in mercy and faithfulness. Yeah, keeping yeah. mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but it, we had a conversation yesterday without going into all the details. But sometimes there's some people that come to the door at church that are a little not quite as easy to love as others. And so one of the prayers I have to stop myself and like. You know, stop, drop, and roll. I have to stop myself and go, okay, Lord, I want to see this person or these people like you see them. Right. And it changes my outlook on them because it's really easy to label and think like, this is a bad person. It's a totally worthwhile yeah, thing to say, a, God, help me to love this person with your love. Help me to be patient with your patience. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not naturally a patient person. No. I know it's hard to believe. Well, I mean, you that's know. why I think you're going to have another two kids. I really do. Why do you say such things? Because patience, children teach you patience. Being married teaches you forgiveness. But patience, you, kids, you learn that with kids. Life. It has so many lessons to learn. Yes, I know. Yes. You never stop learning. So, yes. So, you were talking about agape. Agape. Yeah. So, the, the two primarily love, prim, I'm sorry, the two primary words for love that are used in the new testament are phileo which is brotherly love and agape is that where we got philadelphia from yes absolutely and it's not the first philadelphia because we know the philadelphia in uh revelation chapter two and three the seven churches of asia one of them was the church of philadelphia yeah they make the cream cheese i guess they do yes they do the church of brotherly love that's love cheese. that's like when you go and you get the philadelphia roll the Philadelphia oh, roll at the sushi place. Sushi place. It has it has cream cheese in it. That's how you know the Philly there roll. There you go. I thought it was all yeah. It's love. A little bit of raw tuna, a little bit of Philadelphia cheese, and some rice. Man, that is some love right there. Roll that in some mm, soy sauce. Sushi. And, oh yeah, sashimi. I can feel yeah. it. Mm. Oh man, man, sushi. Dude, we might oh. need some sushi. There you go. Number two. Yes. I feel like oh, we answered that. Okay. No, yeah. Is there more answering? Number two. Yeah. We see, we just drifted question. off into a food thing. That never happens. I know. Almost never. Have you uh, had lunch? I haven't had I lunch. I have not had oh, lunch. Goodness. No, man, I am a starving Marvin. Okay, so if I love someone, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to like them <laughs> or like what their person is doing, right? Parentheses. So, yeah, parentheses with big question mark. So long as I treat them lovingly still? Isn't it like us to always try and find an out? And I'm, I talked about this on Sunday that we're hedging. We're always hedging. Like so, who can I? If I gotta not love my neighbor, love? can I move? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who can I not love? Yeah. Do I have to love all people? So if I love someone, that doesn't necessarily mean I have to like them or like what that person is doing. Well, I guess that's sure. Fair. Yeah, that's, that's fair. fair. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there. I'm, let's just use. I think we used this last week. Use your kids as an example. You love your kids, but there's certainly times when they do things that you're, yeah, you're not exactly a fan of. Right. You know? Yeah. I so. always pray for our president, whoever's in office. I don't uh-huh. always like our presidents, but I, I pray for them. There you go. You know, so there's the corporate, you know, praying for, what's it said? The guy who, you know, wants bad things to happen to his presidents, like wanting a bad thing to happen to your pilot on the plane that you're on. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's, not smart. Yeah, I want America to do good, so I pray for my president, whoever like we, he it's is. It's like we've learned buying cryptocurrency is betting against the American economy. Yeah, exactly. Not, well, let's not go there. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I need a new financial advisor. E.F. <laughs> <laughs> Hutton, you is not. So okay. long as I treat them lovingly still. Yes. Yeah, I think that um, patience, kindness, gentleness, 
You know, I, if you start to respond to people and treat people with love, then I think it'll probably change your attitude towards them. But uh, you know what you were talking about a moment ago, praying that God would help you to see them the way that he sees them yeah. is not a bad idea. That's well, a good place to start. Well, you know, and it's been said, I don't know who laid this on me, but it says, you know, we would treat people much differently if we actually knew their testimony and their experiences. There is a lot of truth. And if we stop to consider that, and there's been some people I thought, man, this person's a little bit irritating or, um, they have, you know, gosh, they're, what they're doing on the outside is not real cool. And then after you get to meet them, you're like, and you get to hear their story. You're like, wow, that person's done pretty well. I mean, one of them yeah. I think I'd mentioned before is the first time I heard, uh, Randy Travis's testimony. Right. And it wasn't in a public thing. It was a very private meeting, but listen to what went on in his house when he was a kid. And I thought, you know, he gets in some trouble publicly, but to hear his heart and like to see what he came out of, I'm thinking, man, you're doing pretty good. You know, he didn't have the advantages that I had or you had right. uh, as a young person with a, you know, uh, a stable house. Well, that's kind of like, uh, yeah. you know, using left Eddie again. I mean, yeah. if you just see the guy, he, he can look a little kind of freaky. Scary. Yeah. He's got a glass eye and a big yeah. old scar over his yeah. left eye and... And then you start to talk to him and, you know, obviously the accident that he had in high school affected him, you know, his brain. And so some people instantly judge a book by a cover, but then you start to ask the questions and find out the story. It changes your perspective in a big way. Right. So that's I why th- you ever ask people, you know, Hey, so what's your story? You know, that question's an interesting question because everybody's got a story. They, they go to the same story every single time you ask them that. So what's your story? And then they start going, I mean, you learn a lot about a person. Yeah. It's amazing to hear people's stories. Yes, it is. Everybody's got a story. There you go. So and I do. I would say the big overarching thing is, like I think it's fair to say, uh, if you love people, sometimes you will fall into like with them. Right. There's things that you will find in their uh, who they are and um, experiences they've had that you like. Oh, I get that. And you can you can. I think love maybe many times will proceed like. So years ago, I was sparring with someone we were doing some martial arts mm-hmm. and uh this gentleman had a background in the marine corps and he had a saying where the head goes the butt follows and there so it's kind of like a takedown thing and i was thinking about that after the fact and i was thinking you know that's life where the head goes the heart follows right and when you make a decision of the will to act lovingly towards someone it changes your perspective but it also changes the kind of the direction of that relationship and when you do what Jesus commands in the Sermon on the Mount to pray for those who, you know, persecute and despitefully use and so forth, and you pray blessing upon them, it really does change your heart towards that person, which is not a bad thing. So, you know, TV, when you're a kid, mm-hmm. like there's things you remember on TV as a kid and you think, why did I remember that? And I remember there was a program called Get Smart. That's the one with the, the shoe where you The shoe phone, it. which, yeah. you know, the shoe phone's a reality Was that now, the one right? with the... Cone of silence, too? The cone of silence, yes. Uh, that know, didn't and, really work yeah, very well. 88, 96, and all the different people. Yeah, that was on Nickelodeon on the, okay. when I was a kid. Okay, pretty tame program. But one thing that struck me is they would always have these villains that were doing something. Ah. And they worked with a you know the evil villains with an organization called Chaos. That's a great name. Isn't that a great name? Can we yeah. have a church called Chaos? Yes. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Anyway. keep going. So the one guy, he was a criminal... And what his criminal act was, he was so nice. And he had such power over people because he'd smile and he was so nice. He could get them to do anything. Hmm. And he would... He had the Tom Sawyer thing going on. Kind of, but he would smile and he'd be nice and just in like validate people. And then 
he would like walk into a bank and ask them for a hundred thousand dollars, and they'd give they it just to give him it and to be him. happy about it. And then they would leave later on. And go, whoa, what happened there? He would just seduce them with his niceness. Just nice, just a nice. Not, he was like, well, not weird. He was just nice. It was so funny. And I remember as a kid thinking, what would happen if I was that nice to people? You gave up on that really quick, didn't you? Well, I'm just saying, if you do the experiment, <laughs> uh huh. If you go sometimes to a difficult person, yes, and you're just nice to them, uh huh. Like, be genuine, but just. Put it in your heart to be nice to him. This is a hypothetical for you, right? I've actually done this. Oh, you have done this. Okay. And not only does that person like you, uh-huh. you always get the best out okay, of that Okay, so person. did you know that um, it, uh, Benjamin Franklin, one yeah. of the founding fathers, he had a view on this as well, that when you're trying to win somebody over, you ask them, so like let's say you move into a new area and you're trying to win someone over. You ask them to do a very easy favor for you, something that they can easily accomplish. Interesting. And it puts you in debt to them in their mind because of the law of reciprocation that you're going to reciprocate. So it's something really simple. You ask them to do an easy favor for you. Hey, can you lend me a wrench? You know, you move into the neighborhood and you don't even need the wrench, but you ask the person to, can can I borrow a wrench from you? Yeah, no problem. Then you return it to them and you're grateful. Hey, thank you for letting me use this. Now you are in their debt, at least as they see it. And, uh, And so, you know, there's kind of a reciprocation and it's kind of using this psychology uh, not really a biblical thing, but interesting. Interesting. Yeah, he he got somebody who I don't remember the exact story. I just remember the generalities of it. He got someone who didn't like him to begin to like him because he asked, "Hey, can I borrow this book that you have in your library?" And then instantly it created a connection because, oh well, if you know Benjamin likes the same author, then he must be a good guy. And yeah. Now he's in debt to me, and so yeah. you know he's not the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Something oh, like that. Very practical. Benjamin Franklin, psychologist. And that's how you get on the $100 bill. There you go. Okay, so lovingly still, I think, like, yeah, like like many times follows love, just lead in love, and sometimes God will change your heart towards people. Yes, So, which God is really good at doing. He is in the spiritual transformation business of transforming the heart people's changing. spiritual. Yeah, he, he which kind of leads right into the next question. Hearts, yes. I was wondering if you've heard of spiritual formation... If so, what is it? And most importantly, is it biblical? Pastor Miles, there's all these winds of doctrine. Yes. We've been, we've been thinking about this question a little bit. Well, we've been talking about it. We have. Um, I mean, I, I, I would say we're not entirely surprised that we got this question. We saw this one coming. We did see this one coming. Okay, we'll, we'll back up, and we don't need the whole deep backstory. But spiritual formation... Um, there's all these, uh, what do we call them, discernment ministry websites out there that get all fired up about various things that blow through the church. And people get freaked out about these sort of things because this is of the devil and it's the worst possible thing on the planet and it's unbiblical and all that sort of stuff. And, and to, to, to frame these discernment ministries, they've had something bad to say about Billy everything, Graham, everything. Chuck Smith, oh, yeah. Greg Laurie. Yeah. Everybody's the um, devil. Yeah, anybody who's anybody who's right. taken a pulp. Rick Warren, you know, Absolutely. It, it doesn't matter if you've brought 100,000 people to Christ. These, These discernment, discernment ministries, yeah. are they, they're run by people who have never taught a Bible study in their life. They've never been in ministry, but they're, they're really good being at being critical. Yeah, they're and, good at being and critical. And keyboard tigers. Uh, there you go. Yes. You know, it's like they would never say it to your face. 
Yes, but absolutely. But they'll put it out on a website that they can hide behind. Yeah, so like, I don't know if you remember, probably about eight, ten years ago, the big the big problem that was going to destroy the church was the emerging, emerging church. church. Yes, the emerging Ooh. church is going to destroy We're everything. We're still here. You know, and... and Where is the emerging people church? People accused me of being emergent. I was emergent because of all the chaotic things I was doing and changing the church. He's so emergent, he's going to destroy us. There's, I don't know, the emergent church, I did died a long time ago. Yeah. Okay, spiritual formation, what is it? Well... If you read those who have written on the topic, and there's all kinds of things written on the topic, um, generally you find out that it's it's basically just a different way of saying discipleship. And um, sure, there, every every group of people that have an idea on various things, you know, you can find things that uh, maybe might be on the fringes of uh, theology doctrine. Uh, but for the most part, if you look at a lot of the documentation on spiritual formation, what you find is it's basically just another name for discipleship. And I do think that there's some, there's some good things about it. And there's probably some negative things about it. One of the good things I think about it, um, one of the authors who's written on this is, uh, um, a guy named Dallas Willard, who was actually a professor of philosophy at the university of Southern California, go Trojans, unless they're playing the Bruins, because then we're not going to root for the Trojans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If they're playing Stanford, maybe we'll go for the Trojans, but not if they're going Two for the Two favorite Bruins. teams are UCLA and whoever's playing USC. There I'm you sorry. go. Oh, there right okay, sorry. I've heard so, that. But um, so he was a professor of philosophy there and a pretty learned guy. He was also a Christian. Uh, not a lot of solid Christians in academic, academia and that kind of level sometimes. So, um, But uh, he had written on this whole thing of spiritual formation, and some people get kind of freaked out by some of the things that he had to say. He had a lot of good things to say. He had some things that maybe I wouldn't agree with. But one of the things he did say that I think is kind of interesting on this topic of spiritual formation is um, he says that grace doesn't have any problem with effort. It has a problem with earning. So, right. you know, we, we don't earn our salvation by, you know, our good works or by our spiritual transformation, but we doesn't mean that we shouldn't, you know, having received grace, seek to walk in righteousness. So he was into spiritual disciplines and he recognized that discipleship, and I think there's a lot of truth in this, and you and I have talked about this mm-hmm. many, many times before. Discipleship is more than just gaining new understanding or new knowledge about things. It's not a class. Right. Well, you know, there are classes that can be involved in discipleship, right. but ultimately we want to see a, a tree is known by its fruit. Right. So we, we want to see transformation. So you can know everything about the definition of agape. The real question is, are you patient and kind and, you know, all of the things that are associated with love? Because you can have all knowledge, as 1 Corinthians Mm -hmm. 13 says. But if you have not love, if you don't have this as a reality in your life, then it's nothing. You're a sounding brass and clanging cymbal. And I I do think that it's, um, it's a worthwhile thing to challenge Christians and say, Hey, listen, your Christian life needs to be more than what you know about Zechariah, Zephaniah, and Haggai. Um, are you living out your Christian faith? And spiritual formation, for the most part, is just saying that we do think that uh, discipleship is more than just knowledge-based. Well, and what you do is what you know and what you believe at the end of the day. We you know, act out the, what we believe. Yeah, the, as they right. say, the proof is in the pudding, they used to say. Yeah. And so uh, that's actually what you know and do. Your knowledge of something means nothing. And... Um, I mean, well, your knowledge is something, but uh, how it works out or fleshes out in your life, so to speak, where it pops up is really what you believe and what you know. And I think to explain it for some people, um, I, you know, in the, uh, well, a discipline I was talking about a friend with a friend yesterday, and he's a 12-time national champion car racer. 
and he helps people set up their cars and things like that. It's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a, it's an amateur sport, but it's a big deal. A lot of money, you know, is spent on those things. It's really a passion. And there's those people who think they know how to set up cars. And then there's those people who actually know how to set up cars. You know, you can read, there's information out there in magazines about it and all these opinions. But those top three guys on the podium are the guys who know about setting up cars. Um, if you've ever been a gun buff, you read all this legend and things about this and that and this about gun stuff. But if you actually go out and talk with a, um, a bench rest shooter that actually shoots all the time as a competitive, they have the real knowledge. They know. They're actually putting theories and techniques in out there, and they're winning medals, so to speak. Yeah. And I think Christianity is a lot like that. You can know, have knowledge, and you can have uh, biblical uh, knowledge and insight and all those things. But really how you apply it yeah. is really where the proof is because a lot of these things yeah. we don't really discover what they mean you don't really discover what patience is until you actually have to be patient uh-huh and have so, a couple kids yeah yeah um i used to lead a uh, group of high school kids down to mexico and we would camp in the desert with no showers uh, and porta potties junior hires don't care about that uh, and high school yeah 110 degree heat so part of potty smell great in 110 degree heat you know <laughs> ain't that the truth yeah that side note there was a uh, junior hires because it wasn't junior hires all high school uh, there was a junior high group that used to come down and call themselves team pig and that's all they do for a week is clean the banos oh my goodness yeah that was that is deep some, spiritual formation going on right there, there right yeah, yeah. so um all that being said uh You'd find out a lot about your youth leader, if they're a real Christian, about five days in. Because all the happy thoughts and warm feelings were gone. Right. And you were sweaty and you were miserable and you were, you know, moving kids to here and there. And we would see people just twist off. This is the difference between, you know, I was reading on a little bit of physics reading a yeah. few years ago. It's the difference between theoretical physicists and experimental physicists. Yeah. There are theoretical physicists who come up with the ideas. They come up with the theories about, you know, the structure of reality. And then it's the experimental guys who have to go and prove whether or not the theory is true by actually putting it into practice. And a lot of times, the theoretical guys, it's proven that, no, nope, you were wrong. And then the textbooks have to be rewritten because the theory needs to be put in practice. And the same is true with Christianity, that you can learn a lot through a discipleship class or through a Bible study. All good stuff. It's good things to know. The question is, are you able to walk that out? And right. does your faith or your belief become practice? Does it become reality in the way that you live? Right. And I think that it's worthwhile to consider um, where this guy, like Dallas Willard, where his perspective came from. And the fact that he spent his entire life in academia uh, working at one of the most well-known and prestigious universities in the world. And um, what did he see on a regular basis but a whole bunch of Christian kids who came to college and walked away from the faith, that their, what they had intellectually in their mind got destroyed and, and just got kind of thrown out the window. And so in that, I think he's responding to something. He's responding to the same thing that John MacArthur responded to a number of years ago when he looked at the Christian, at the Christian church and said, we got an issue because a lot of people have believed a gospel that says that Jesus is, is Savior, but they haven't recognized that he's Lord. And so he wrote his book, The Gospel According to Jesus, to try and deal with this problem that you, you really need to walk in accordance with scripture and that's going to involve some spiritual disciplines. It's going to involve some, some practices, you know, some of those disciplines that are ancient practices, but sometimes 
evangelical Christians in our day can kind of get freaked out by it because they say, oh, that sounds, you know, that sounds Catholic or that sounds this or that, whatever it may be. So things like fasting, you know, fasting can be a really important, valuable thing to add to your life as a Christian. Um, Same thing with serving and giving and Bible reading and solitude and living simply, all these sort of things. They're not bad things. So, um, you know, sometimes looking into what the person actually says, other than what the reality discern, or I'm sorry, the, the discernment ministry website has to say uh, is probably a good thing. Yeah, and I think part of that, the backlash from that too, is he what he was seeing is, and it's something we've seen. Yes. We have churches full of people who have learned and they've accepted, uh, they say it's, you know, they, they're on the whole, you know, grace wagon, but there's no evidence of any faith in their lives and faith without works is dead. And so uh, he was seeing that in the church. And I'm going to be real honest with you. Um, I think it's something that the church needs to wrestle with. If we're sitting in a church and we don't care that people are going to hell, that says something about our faith. Yes. And, and uh, I was just reading an article today in USA Today. Mm-hmm. It was written by a Latter-day Saint who, you know, he's older now, but he did his two-year mission. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and how, how much respect he had for Jehovah's Witnesses because here's his thing us Mormons, this is what he said, us Mormons, we do a two-year mission when we're young, but we stop. We never do that again, going door to door. And that's hard work, going door to door. And he said, but you got to respect the Jehovah's Witnesses because they go door to door throughout their entire lives, bring the gospel to people. Now, I don't theologically have a lot that connects me to Latter-day Saints or Jehovah's Witnesses. There's a lot of disagreement, and I think that they've got some, some practices and some belief that are not in line with the scripture. But you cannot... Uh, speak all that negatively about their commitment to going door to door and sharing their faith. Could you imagine how much bigger the church would be if uh, Christians were more committed to evangelism in that way? It's a challenging thing to do. It's not easy, uh, but you got to at least respect the fact that they're committed to what they're doing, even if you disagree with um, the things they believe. You know, the other thing I think would be, you know, with the the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses going the door to door. I mean, they might be the greatest Amazon people. Amazon's got to get those guys going. They're going to be there anyway, right? Yeah. And then their salvation depends on that package getting to the right house. I was talking to a guy who came to my door uh, about maybe a month or so ago. He's a salesman coming to my door. He's got his own company, entrepreneurial guy. And he's, you know, trying to come and and, uh, get me to sign on with his business. So we got to talking and he's a, you know, Latter-day Saint. He did his two-year mission when he was just out of high school. He said that was the best preparation to being a businessman and going door-to-door. And he said, I go knock on a lot of doors trying to get people to sign on with my company. He had a bug service. Okay. And uh, But where did he learn to do that? He said going door-to-door. Wow. So, pretty interesting. One of the best experiences I had of a short time. Yeah. Uh, I was in between fishing trips. My son was going to be born. I needed to do something for a couple months. And I went and sold cars at a new car dealership. And I learned more about people's credit, how they handle money, um, how to talk to people, how to see what their real wants were and their needs were. And it was a, it was like a college class. It was great, and I, I've used that till this day. Not that you're trying, you know, people think they're trying to defraud people. And that's not it at all. Uh, it's understanding what people want and need, and how to, you know, understand their language, so to speak. And so, great people skills you can learn there. So, I learned a lot from ministry uh, for that, and certainly. Uh, when I was, you know, doing our um, 
well, when I was an international arms dealer. There you go. That's a whole other story. So, so on the spiritual formation thing, there are some, some good things to consider from those who are into the spiritual formation thing. Is it biblical? That's a, there's a lot more layers to that question. Um, you really have to get down into what are the things that are being proposed? What are the things that are being said? Uh, because probably a lot of it is built in, in the scriptures, but you got to recognize, you know, what is being said and really kind of sparse it out. Right. Parse and, it out. Yeah. And then another thing you have to be really careful about is um, don't just go and read the Amazon review on the book. Or the discernment ministry website. Yeah. Um, if you're really that concerned about it and somebody's into it, just go get the book and read it. You're, and, it's and not the some, boogeyman. It's not going to infect you. And if some other church or pastor or leader is talking about spiritual more, uh, formation, ask them some questions. What do you mean by that? You know, what, what is it that you're, what's your goal? What's your aim? And if their goal and aim is to help disciple people into a more committed walk with Jesus, then that may not be a bad thing. They might be using different language than you would use, but might not be a bad thing. Yeah. But I certainly wouldn't like gossip or leave a church over it. Yes. I would uh, be really careful uh, with that to sit down and talk with that guy or his leadership and find out, Hey, you know, what is this and how, do, how does this all work? Because, you know, as a guy in the ministry, I've had rumors and things said about me that simply weren't true. You've had things said and done to you that, you know, they weren't true. And we, the church suffers for that. So, uh, and I think this is something that's been floating around in our local area here lately. And so we need to be really careful before we run somebody down the road on that. And I don't, I don't know if you have an issue with somebody reading the book. I just don't, I think if you're discerning at all, you can pick up a Christian book and, and read it and, uh, they used to say, eat the chicken and spit out the bones. Um, I can't say I agree with, you know, any book I can think of other than the Bible that I totally agree with everything in it. And even in Calvary, I, I you know, there's a, I have one or two theological differences, but they're not going to be major things and I'm not going to go to war over them. We'll see. As they say, it all pan out. Right? Cool. All right. Now, I feel like that's answered. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, for it seems there's been some prominent quotation marks Christians mentioned in the media recently have walked away from their faith. We read in First Timothy, I know who they're talking about, uh four one. Um now the spirit expressively says that in the latter time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, along with praying, what should be our response to brothers and sisters in Christ as we see this happening in our circle of friends? Do we separate ourselves? Do we try to come alongside them. I appreciate your insight and any other scriptures that would increase our knowledge of how to live in these latter days. Yeah. So the two prominent Christians that are being spoken of here, one we've talked about before, Joshua Harris, um, and then another one who recently came out on uh, social media a week or so ago, um, Marty Sampson, who I guess is uh, prominent in the Hillsong movement, a singer guy. He's really prominent in that song we all love, Oceans. So, um, the song that goes on forever. Yes, yes. Yes. He's saying it here, not here, saying it a few times here and there. Uh, so the, these guys, they have, um, apparently rejected the faith that they once believed in. Some people would refer to them as apostate. Some people would say that they were never really Christians. Uh, I think you'd have a really hard time making that case that they were never really Christians, never really believers. Joshua Harris led a church for a while and, uh, and Marty Sampson's been leading worship for a long time. Um, you know, I think it's worth looking at their background, where they came from, and some of the things that they have said and why they have decided to reject the faith, because I think that you'll find that, you know, you look at a guy like Marty Sampson, who comes from a movement of churches that does not necessarily uh, put as big of an emphasis upon, um, you know, theology and doctrine and scripture, and I think that his background had no real place um, 
for a strong Bible and a, a real understanding of the 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 proofs for God. So he had some questions about, well, you know, we can't prove the Bible with science and there's a lot of questions that the Bible doesn't answer. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of people speaking to those questions and, you know, who knows, maybe he'll come back to the Lord someday. Same thing with Joshua Harris. I think that his, his faith and his background had no place for the, the real brokenness of a fallen world. And, you know, how do you answer pain and suffering and those sort of things? And, uh, so, you know, he's wrestling with a lot of these things, but I would say for both of these guys, the, the story's not, the story hasn't ended on both their lives. Who knows? Someday, maybe they'll come back to the Lord. And so how do you respond to someone who has apparently walked away from their faith? I think you respond to them as someone who you love and you want them to come back to the faith. And so you pray for them and you reach out to them and you acknowledge that uh, maybe they've had some things go on in their life that have challenged their their faith. People go through challenging things as it relates to what they believe. And uh, the questions that arise out of that sometimes those questions need to be answered and it takes a while to answer those sort of things. But yeah, I think you come alongside those people and, and seek to bring them back to the truth of the gospel and uh, share your faith with them and love them. Um, is this a fulfillment of first Timothy four one? I'm not a hundred percent sure that no. this is um, no. speaking to exactly what's, what's being said in first Timothy four one, but I don't know, Mark, you have any further thoughts on this? Um, I kind of what you said, I, I'd say with, um, uh, I'm more familiar with Joshua Harris and his books and things like that. And, and uh, those were written when he was really young. Yes. And uh, there may be a part where he's, those are questions that weren't answered when he was younger and he needs to mature in those things. Um, I'm a little bummed when everything has to go on Twitter. Yeah. I think have your struggle um, and, you know, have it a little more privately with your friends and talk to your pastors and things like that. When you start blowing things up all over Twitter and, you know, very publicly, it reeks of I'm trying to make a profit on this. Yeah, I'm going to write a new book or I'm going to start a, a new band. And, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm going to start a band. I'm going to do this or that. I, so, I think this also highlights the fact that sometimes we, we have given platforms to people. That, absolutely. Um, I mean, they'll let anybody do a podcast. Man, ain't that the truth? No. There's no cost to entry here at all. No. Uh, so yeah, so sometimes these people have a platform that I don't know in another era they wouldn't have had, right? Um, but now we we think that anything they say on Instagram or Twitter is worth you know everybody listening to. But no, I don't know. Sometimes these things just give us the opportunity to rant. Just there like this, we're ranters. We are. Yes. Uh, do we separate ourselves? I don't think that's a good idea. If there's a genuine struggle going on, yeah. Um, I mean, read First Corinthians seven, I believe it is, or First Corinthians five. Uh, where Paul talks about who you should separate yourself from. It's very, very clear. It's explicit that if you have a person who is practicing sin and they're unwilling to repent, then yeah, you know, you you maybe separate from that person, especially if they call themselves a brother or sister. Um, if they don't, then you, you share the gospel with them and you encourage them to repent, that life would be a lot better for you if you repented and turned to the Lord. So, I think I've mentioned this before, too, in the practical. Yeah. Um, I have a handful of guys that were... You know, going to church, uh, it seemed like they had a, a fruitful relationship with the Lord, and they walked away. They either left their wives or marriages. Um, you know, didn't there were certain things they wanted to go back into abusing, you know, chemicals, whatever they are. I still call those guys once a year, you know, whatever, and uh, I talk to them. Like, hey, what's I didn't, I didn't condone their behavior, this or that. Sometimes it's a real, you know, I. You know me, I always have a sense of humor. And so like, hey, are you going to be at the marriage supper of the lamb? Are you going to be cooking? And they go, oh, it's you, man. You know, something like that. And they laugh and, and uh, hey, have you decided to repent yet? This and that. And, you know, it's really opened some avenues to have that discussion. And I'm 
one of the few believers that's calling him to say, hey, what are you doing about the whole Jesus thing? Yeah. And we have some great conversations. So uh, I'm okay. I'm going to stand before the Lord on that, and I want the Lord to see me. I want to be known as trying and trying to bring these people back into the fold and uh, loving them and caring about them. And it's not just, hey, I love and care about you as long as you're perfect and you do everything like I do. That's not it because our salvation is not like that. That's not how God sees us. So uh, I think we need to keep reaching out to people, but right. don't contone their bad behavior. No, no. And don't let their behavior influence you. True. So I think we answered that. Yeah, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Galatians yeah. six one. Okay, number five. I feel like we answered that. I'm good. Yeah. And uh, okay, number five. If love is not quotes mushy sentimentality which is something i said yeah that's great yeah i know that's why there's quotes quotes does that mean that love is emotionless no but i do think that love as americans see love or westerners in the 21st century see love it is overly emotional and so as a result we've we've drifted away from the reality of love and action I mean, you and I, we have counseled with lots of different oh, married gosh. couples over the years. And how many times have you heard someone say, well, I just don't love this person anymore? It's like, well, no, you're, you're choosing to no longer be, you know, committed to this person any longer. And yeah, maybe the emotions, the high of the uh, eros of love has kind of waned a little bit. But that can be rekindled if you begin to love this person, like we were talking about earlier. You know, you make a commitment to love this person, and you are patient and kind to them, and all that we see in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, and the emotions begin to follow along with that too. As you do loving things, do the loving actions, then the emotions will follow that. So, God created us as uh, creatures that have capacity for emotion, and um, so I think that He does want emotion to be involved in love, but we cannot over-emotionalize love. And I think our uh, where we fall short as people and Christians is we tend to over-emotionalize. Virtually everything? Yes. And we tend to, we always err on the side of love is emotion rather than the other way around. Right. And uh, I mean. We do the same thing with worship. I mean, we did youth ministry for a while. Oh, gosh. Yeah. If somebody was only worship yeah, if there was tears. If people weren't crying, yeah. It was, yeah. wasn't any good, right? Right. And, uh and I just, I had a, a real life example of this. If you're a horse person and it's kind of like the old West, um, where a horse was hurt. Yes. And that horse was not going to get better. And we had to put that horse down. Yes. And yes. You were involved a couple of times. John then. Wayne style had yeah. to put a horse down. And the, you know, a lot of people would say, well, that was, you know, cruel or that wasn't loving and this and that and believe me at that time that was the most loving thing you could do for that horse because it was going to suffer and it was going to die slow and so um that's love and action right there that well that's love and action <laughs> was there emotion there yeah it was sadness yeah you know it wasn't oh sorry fluffy and you know trigger and you know snuggle it and, and we're going to just let you you know die over the course of an hour and a half type thing it was a directly like you know we're going to do the most merciful thing we can at this point and uh, I hope nobody ever gets put in that position, but okay. you horse people would I, understand I, this. So I have to ask, the average horse weighs what? How much? A lot. Oh, gosh. Like They look like they weigh a 1,000 pounds. Or more. Who knows? Okay, how do you dispose of the, the once, you know, put out of its misery 1,000-pound horse? Okay, you hear it all here on the podcast. Okay, here we go. I want to know. So twice I had to be part of this. Yeah. Um, 
One, uh, I actually took a backhoe and dug a 15-foot pit. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and that's, the horse was a... Uh, a thousand a, years from now, they're going to uh, say, this, faithful, is, this yes, is special native ground. ground. We, yeah. found, we found the remains this of the horse. This was a faithful friend of the person, uh, the landowner, and yeah. uh, she had ridden this horse all over to do work for the Forest Service. I mean, she had this horse, I think, like 15, 20 years, like oh, a wow. long time. Okay. And so um, that was the best way that she could say goodbye to this horse. And I aided in that. And then um, the other way, it's kind of grisly and gruesome. Uh, there's a truck that shows up, uh-huh. and there's a trailer. Ooh. And I had to deal with this for the, again, another neighbor. But I was the guy in the neighborhood when something bad went down. These are things down. you never think about when you say, we should have horses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, uh, th- so the, this trailer pulls up. And the gate comes down, and there's a, a winch, an electric winch, and it, they wrap it around trigger and hoist trigger right up into the back of the uh, wow. trailer. And, I mean, there's other horses and dogs. It's gnarly. I've had to be involved in some uh, funeral services for pets, but normally it's like a guinea pig, you know? Well, that's your house. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. No, no. So, this is, these are like, you got a thousand-pound horse. It's a little bit different than a, you know, a pound-and-a-half guinea pig. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's way different. It's 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 a much it's a bigger deal. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, and it was interesting. I talked with a vet one time about because they they would put horses down with a shot, and I asked the vet. I go, okay, let's let's be legit. You know, like what what's the deal? He goes, oh, he says if John Wayne style, um, putting a horse down like that is way faster, more merciful than giving them the injection and oh, all wow, this other yeah. stuff. There's no pain. They never feel anything. He goes, if I had to do it, that's how I'd do it. But he goes, people don't want... Right. That's not what they want. But that's the difference between mushy love and the reality of, like, this is <laughs> going to be the mushy... sentimentality. Mushy sentimentality and, you know, cold-blooded yeah. love. No. <laughs> no cold-blooded <laughs> love. No. Oh, it's my goodness. Love. love in action. Well, like you said, you get it all here. Yeah. There you go, man. So, okay. Number five. No, number six. <laughs> Let's put that down there. Yeah. 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 Okay, six. Goodbye, Trigger. Uh, yeah. And I love animals, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I bet you do. Yes, I do. And not just next to the potatoes. I think I that's what you, you're I thinking. I hope you love me more. Yes, I do. Well, I'm there for you. You're awesome. Yeah, okay. Um, six, what does it mean that love does not rejoice in injustice in 1 Corinthians 13? Mark, you have any thoughts on this? No. Let me, I want to hear that. You said something about this. Love does not rejoice in injustice. Well, I think oh. it's as simple as that. Yeah, it doesn't I, rejoice I, in injustice. I don't know how... Uh, yeah. I mean, we can we can parse the Greek, but you yeah, don't rejoice in injustice. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I don't see myself giving a 20-minute Bible study on this yeah. one. Um, when you not see, that it's not a good question, but it's I a mean, good question. It, but, it does it does really bring up the question, though. I mean, when we see things that are unjust and are wrong, then we need to speak up. I think if you go back to the uh, book of Isaiah, this was one of the reasons that God had a problem with his people, the children of Israel at the time of Isaiah. This is the 8th century BC, is that they were doing all kinds of unjust things, and no one was standing up to deal with it. Right. So I, I think a better—I mean, this that's a good question, but I think yeah. to drill down on that question— what does love do when it sees injustice? What does it do? And I think love jumps in and takes care of it, fixes it. That's what love seeks does. to do what it can. Yeah, seeks right. to do what it can. Right. I mean, um, I'm thinking of Victor Marx. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, he's in a place where there's some serious injustice being done to women and children, and you know what? He's just not sitting back and watching CNN with all this. 
He's over there doing something about it. Well, you know, the verse that came to mind just now is Proverbs 3.27. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. I think that last part that, is really, like really important. Yeah. When you when have it's the, in the ability power, to do yeah. something, you need to do something. And uh, so when it's in the power of your hand to do so, then you do so. And uh, so, and brings up the other, one of the great passages of the Old Testament, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly to love mercy and to walk in humility with your God, walk humbly before God. Can we God. sing that in a round? Yes. Yeah, yes. If Chuck were here, if we get the Chuck oh. AI, we can And to love mercy. <laughs> oh yes. yeah. I could feel, I yes. can see Chuck I can now. around. Yeah. You uh, know why? I'm right there. I'm in Costa Mesa. Oh my gosh. It's 1982. He's wearing yeah. this shirt right oh, here. He's totally wearing yeah. that shirt. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. why I took that. So I, my wife bought some shirts from old Navy uh-huh. and there's a retro one, you know, and she, Brought the shirt, so I, I want that shirt. I definitely want that shirt. She said, what? I go, that's my Chuck Smith shirt. There you go, man. So I love it. So, um, yeah, Injustice. And I, a little handy hint. Yes. Um, it's interesting. Does your wife, when something goes down with the kids, does she always try to make everything fair and just? No, not my wife. She's not a... She's, uh, nope. Okay. We really avoided that with because the kids. Because we have, a, we have a, a saying in our household. Life, Life is, is hard. hard. Yes, that's it's, right. It's unjust it, yeah. life is hard so it's kind of like it's kind of like suck it up but it's just like hey life is hard i we we really had to think about this but we wanted to teach our kids that life is not fair and there is injustice out there yes and so you have to accept that there's going to be injustice in the world yeah and you know one of my you know along with the proverbs 327 when it's in the power of your hand do so and micah 6 8 do justly. I mean, that's a command. You are to do justly. Yeah. Another one that comes to my mind is Isaiah 1. Like I mentioned this during the time of Isaiah. Isaiah one seventeen says, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widow. What he's talking about there when he talks about rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow, these were people who were traditionally treated unjustly. Right. And so, you know, another one of those, aside from the spiritual formation being one of those catchphrases that freaks people out, Another catchphrase that freaks people out is the word social, the words social justice. Right. And so what, what Isaiah was dealing with, what God was going to judge the children of Israel for, was that they were not being just as it related to their society. And so they were saying, well, you need to be just in the way you deal with people in society. And who were the people who were oppressed at the time of Isaiah? Well, if you were fatherless, you're an orphan, you have no one uh, to stand up for you um, who's older than you. If you're a widow, you have no husband to stand up for you in that culture, which is a big deal. And so, uh, you know, he was saying you need to make sure that you are being just as it relates to those who are oftentimes not receiving justice. Right. And I, I pass this on to Christians. You know, they go, you'll hear these big sports, you know, names, celebrities go, well, I'm not a role model and I'm not this Ooh. and that. Yes, you yes, are. Yes, you are. And Christian, you're a role model. There you go. You are to be the pillar of justice. And jumping in there to, to when there's injustice, it, when it's in your power. So do justly and love mercy. Yeah. So I didn't write it. God wrote it. All right. Number well, we seven. We try to live it. Yeah, there you go. Number seven. If John was writing to come against counterfeit Christian leaders 2,000 years ago, what sort of counterfeits are there today? Ooh. There's not enough time in the podcast. There's not enough pine saw on the shelf. Man, the, the biggest... I'm going to use air quotes. The biggest Christian counterfeit that I that I see out there today is the health, wealth, and prosperity one. Yeah, boy, people buy that one hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, we have exported that around the world in in not a good way. And 
uh yeah that would be the that would be my number one counterfeit if i was gonna i was gonna go after one of them that would be it how about you yeah, I think there's a gospel light thing out there. The feel-good... Well, I guess that would be a prosperity ministry. There's definitely some so. yeah, feel-good, emotional prosperity ministries. Um, people buy into that. Um, the gospel light, so to speak. The uh, um, No the, commitment required. No commitment, no rules. You know, the old... The tenets of the Bible and the, those those wonderful curbs that God gave us to be in his will. Those really are, are old fashioned and they're not there. You know, yeah. they're not, they're not important. And no, they're I mean, still not important. That, not that we're looking for like a legalistic faith. I mean, we're certainly not, but there certainly is a requirement. There's a, there's a commitment to being a disciple. That's right. why we should count the cost. Yeah. And if your relationship with the Lord isn't costing you anything, you have to probably think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, this was not the, uh, this was never billed to be the luxury cruise, so to speak. So there should be some sacrifice and some commitment and some hard things that go on in your life if you're walking with the Lord, because um, we are not of this world. Yeah. And uh, we're going against the grain and the flow of culture. But there are places that are easier to be a Christian than others. The United States of America of America is a very, compared to many other places, a very easy place to be a Christian. True that. Say that. So I'm down with that. All right. Last one. All right. How are we supposed to love people and also stand up against sin or stand for righteousness and not come across as hateful? You're a hater, bro. I'm going to toss this to you, Mark. I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I want to read that question again. I How are we read. supposed to love people and to stand up against sin and to stand for righteousness and not to come across hateful? Well, I'd say follow the way of Jesus in the Gospels. I mean, he stood against sin, but he certainly didn't come across hateful. Right. I mean, a practical way to do this. Uh, yeah. If you're, let's say it's one on one, watch Jesus. If you're looking at how Jesus dealt with people, many times he would answer their questions or meet their accusations with more questions, and he would lead them into a place where they had to answer their own question. And so you're not being the hater; it's the facts, it's logic. Well, and you're it's talking about his law. dealing. You're talking about his dealings with religious people a lot of times, who actually were the bigger haters because they're coming here trying to trap him. So yeah, they were the worst. They're going to try and right. trap him. So he kind of right. he would always turn the trap back around on them and expose them for what they really were, which was great. But what's really interesting in his dealings with the people who were the sinners of the day, the right. people who were looked down upon, you know, I think the one that really stands out to me is in uh, John chapter eight, when the woman is taken in adultery and brought to Jesus. And he, he doesn't gloss over her sin. Right. Um, he actually fulfills exactly what the law says when he says, neither do I con- condemn you. But then he says to her, go and sin no more. Right. Same thing in John 5, the man who uh, he heals at the pool of Bethesda. When he has a conversation with him later, he says, you know, you go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. So anytime right. when he's dealing with the implication seems to be that maybe there was some sort of sinful thing in the guy's background. We don't know. That's, that's you know, speculating. But even still, you know, Jesus, when he was dealing with sinful people, he would always call them to walk in righteousness from that point forward. So he did not condone their sin, uh, but he was also not, he was very loving. He was not hateful in the way that he dealt with them. Yeah. Long silence. Well, no, I, I mean, I like that. I mean, a lot of times if I'm sitting down and somebody's got something they're doing that's going to go a bad way, affect other people and themselves and their family, sometimes I'll sit down with them and just gently say, hey, here's where you're going and here's what you're doing very calmly. Yeah. Not being accusing, not being mean, not being hateful. Um, say, here's where you're going. Here's what you're doing. And here's what I've seen where this leads. 
and you seem really bent on doing this. So what I want you to do is you remember me, and when this goes bad and it's going to go bad, let's go back and let's talk again. And sometimes that will set people up to start to think about things, or maybe you can run them through the things like, uh, you know, you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. You don't have to. I think a lot of times when things are charged with emotion, like if you and I get an email from somebody and it is assuming that we're being evil about something or we haven't thought about something, we definitely perceive it differently than if somebody says, hey, guys, have you thought about this? Or is this true? It's the attitude sometimes we go into these things with, with people that really can hurt our success in, in winning a brother. Uh, if we have these preconceived notions and we go through with a lot of attitudes. So I really think the emotion and attitude thing is a big thing if you're trying to speak into somebody's life um, in a godly way. You need, to, you need to be in control of your emotions and your attitudes and not be presumptive about what they're doing. That's one of the things I love about Matthew 18. When we go to correct a brother, we go to them first because sometimes it's something completely different than what we've perceived. Amen? Yes, in person is generally going to be better than an email, by the way. <laughs> yeah, emails are horrible. I, I, you, yeah. you can't get the tone on an email no. and this and that. And, and uh, yeah, anyway. So that's, I think we answered that. Yeah. So anything else good going on? I don't know. I think things are good. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Peterson, he endorsed our podcast. So Absolutely. That's good. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it wasn't really him, but sounded like him. I we need more celebrity endorsements. Not jordanpeterson.com. That's where that came from. Wow. <laughs> That's really cool. So what I mean what how do we end this thing today? I don't know. Do wow. we have a do we have a special um a tagline? A ta- yeah. No, no, what's our secret phrase? That's, That's what I'm going to say. I mean, you know, I mean I endorse you guys. I endorse it. I mean, I think that's good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, last week's was was What was know, last week's again? I don't remember. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Did you I have mean, anybody come and say it to you on Sunday? I did. Nobody, I nobody people, said it to me oh, on Sunday. Oh, they came to me. You know, The oh, other one I was going to say is, boy, that was sketchy. That was sketchy. Oh, let's do that one. Yeah. That right. was sketchy. Yeah. So just come up and go, hey, that was sketchy. That was sketchy. Yeah. I love, well, it's been a sketchy week, actually. You're right. Now that I think about it. Yes, that was sketchy. That so, was sketchy. Man. And time for the music. Look at that. I wasn't ready. Oh, man. I think it's time for the music. All right, Mark. I guess we'll see everybody this weekend, and they can come and tell us that was sketchy. That was sketchy. Until episode 29 next week. Hasta la vista. Wow.